ുംസ്റ്റ്രീം ഹിസ്റ്ററി and when we look at the word itihas and even uh, shri vivek debroy said it in the opening uh, keynote that uh, so it was uh, this is how it happened this is what itihas was as well so these words can be thought of in the same sense but yet for india it is often accused that we have no historical sense uh, but if we think of what we were told about history growing up then history is important so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past therefore what is important from history is what were the lessons learned and not necessarily a factual description of what happened when who did what who discovered what uh, there in this context i think indian view of itihas is in fact far more rooted uh, because it has uh, a sharp focus on dharm and it understands that what is important is to transmit the lessons that we have learned Uh, therefore indian itihas uh, especially epitomized in the purans is more about how was dharm formulated how was dharm articulated uh, how was it followed how, or how was it not followed how did we engage with it how did we fail to engage with it uh, and also as dr paturi did mention uh, it's about knowledge systems and not just about stories but if we do take this view of itihas uh, then what happens to the mainstream historical version and uh, how do we respond to that the fact is that modern historical narratives are very very important and i realized this specifically through my journey of understanding the aryan invasion migration trickling in theory where even if for a moment we assume that it's a true theory uh, even if we assume for a moment that there existed a hypothetical proto indo european which existed at a point x somewhere outside uh, india somewhere in eurasia and therefore it arrived to india at some point in time well wherever in eurasia it existed it arrived everywhere else in eurasia too at that at some point in time but in germany or britain do we see a divide between indigenous and invader do we find adivasi germans and adivasi britains uh, where else but in india do we find a book that is titled which of us are aryans uh, these kind of things only happen in india and therefore history can actually be used to divide or to assimilate depending on the narrative and i believe it is now increasingly important that we control the narrative and speak also in the modern historical language but own the narrative and speak to our own felt experience of civilizational continuity uh, of our nation of our people and therefore it is in that context that i have thought of a chronological framework now when we think of a chronological framework for indian history uh, one of the first things that come to mind is a date for the mahabharat but a framework will obviously have to incorporate a lot of different things 
uh, even within the Mahabharata, there is mention of 16 Chakravartins of ancient India. Uh, many of them, are, uh, some names are here, Shashabindu, Mandhatra, Bharat, uh, Sagar, Ram, and so many more. Uh, we also reach at some point going back from the Mahabharata to Vaivaswat Manu, but that is only the beginning of the seventh Manvantar, and we have Yogs and past Manvantars. We also have in all of this intervening period, myths like the Samutra Manthan, we have stories of Daityas, Adityas, Danavs, and I think a complete chronological framework must account for all of these. To add to it, because this chronological framework speaks in a modern language, it must incorporate what we know from archaeology, what we know from linguistics, what we know from geology, and it must incorporate epistemological event horizons, or as far back as we can go in history uh, and still determine things to some degree of certainty. Uh, I also think of this chronological framework as the available best fit. And I'm trying to be very precise with this language because it is only an available best fit with absolute and relative timelines right now. A framework is something that no matter how you stretch or uh, contract that framework, internal and absolute chronologies still maintain sense. And the point is that if we assign a date to something like the Mahabharata, something like the Ramayana, there are a lot of other cascading dates and events in our history that must be also uh, incorporated. So, for example, something like as simple as Vaivaswat to Sagar, there is a genealogy given, there are stories given. Between Sagar to Ram, there is a genealogy given, there are stories given. And in fact, for the entire Ekshvaku dynasty, we must understand it in the context of archaeology in Uttar Pradesh. We cannot do these in isolation. Uh, similarly, there are other tribes of, of India. So we have the Yadu tribe and the archaeology of places like Dwarka, of the Yamuna river system. All of these have to be incorporated into the framework. Uh, we also have to think of Rigvedic timelines of uh, linguistic origins and dispersals. And of course, we must have a larger view of the civilizational trajectory uh, from all these uh, ancient uh, epochs like the Mesolithic, Neolithic, and of course, our own systems of yogas and Manvantars. So now this work is not necessarily a new work. It builds on a lot of existing work. My own journey started with the Bhagavad Puran because this is where I uh, realized that we actually have a concept of yugs, of manvantars, of genealogies, of tribes and dynasties. Uh, it was also for me supplemented with a book called Ancient Indian Dynasties, which also gave me a sense for the richness of our history. Uh, I personally ascribe a lot of uh, uh, gratitude to the combined works of Srikanth Talagheri because that gave me a sense really for what history is, what narrative is, and how to map the chronologies, how to think of Rig Vedic history, Puranic history, and how to reconcile all of these together. Uh, of course, it was also mentioned by uh, Mr. Vivek Debroy, Pagita's work, Ancient Indian Historical Tradition, was very seminal. And then there are a whole host of other writers and thinkers who I must uh, give gratitude to because I build atop uh, their existing work. Uh, of course, all of this then has been supplemented with a reading of various Qurans. And yes, I must confess, it is a reading of primarily English versions, Motilal Banarsidas and uh, Gita Press. So I haven't reached reading the original Sanskrit text yet. Now, when we think of a framework, well, we have the Mahabharat, and of course, we have a history after the Mahabharat. But when we start going backwards from the Mahabharat, we have all the Chakravartans that are mentioned, various stories of Indian political tribal history, and presumably, we would reach a point back to the beginning of the seventh Manvantar with Vaivaswat Manu. But prior to that is the sixth Manvantar, where we have stories of Mahabali, of Samudra Manthan, of Prithuvenya. And then prior to that, second and fifth, second to the fifth Manvantars, lots of Daitya, Aditya wars, uh, typical of which would be the Tarakasur war. 
And of course, we must go back to the first Manvantar, Swayambhuv Manu, and some of the early myths of ancient India. Of course, history could also be from before that. So where do we begin and how do we really place this? Well, I think we have to give some uh, credence to civilizational trajectory. We must understand some histories of not just our country, but human homo sapien development as well. How homo sapiens have evolved, how long have they been around on the planet, uh, geological epochs like the last glacial maximum. And uh, these things also have to be taken in, uh, into account. Uh, what we are told is that through the bottleneck of the last uh, glacial maximum, as the Holocene began to onset around 12,500 years uh, before the present, it's after that that hunter, previously hunting and gathering Homo sapiens discovered the wheel, discovered agriculture, discovered metallurgy, and a civilizational trajectory began. Uh, compared to this, we have Puranic tradition, uh, which talks, of course, first of Brahma and his early progeny, the Sanat Kumars, the early Rishis, Vach. Uh, then we have Swayambhuv and Satyavati, his uh, son and daughter, who then uh, uh, populate the early generation of Indians. Uh, so they, their children, Priyavrat, Uttanapad, Akuti, Devahuti, Prasuti. Uh, and something very curious, which I will come back to, is that none of these sons and their lines, uh, Priyavrat and Uttanapad, feature in stories of the daughters and their lines, and vice versa. So it seems to suggest that there is a difference in chronology even between these lines, and not all of them are necessarily the literal children of Swayambhuv and Satyavati. Uh, when we talk of prehistory, protohistory, and the prologue, it all starts with Brahma. In the in, in the beginning, he was all alone, and I think what Brahma represents is the transition from sentience to sapiens in our species. It's the the symbolic first mind who gazed into the abyss and realized that we have a self uh, felt experience. Uh, so it's a non-literal memory of the evolution of consciousness and consequently of language of speech. Uh, so we place this beyond all epistemological event horizons. It's somewhere in our shadowed past from where a lot of knowledge systems, of course, have been transmitted to us. Uh, true historical memory begins with Swayambhuv and Satyavati. Uh, so we have to start with them and understand where we can place them. Uh, we have to reconcile this with yogs and manvantars. There are a lot of speakers today. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of viewpoints on this. Uh, but for me, in a historical context, I have used uh, Jijit Nadamuri Ravi's frame of the Markandeya Mahayug, uh, where he talks of ascending and descending cycles of these Mahayugs, where the Markandeya Mahayug begins between the younger Dryas and the Holocene onset. So somewhere between 12,000 to 3,000 years, uh, uh, 13,000 years before the present. And then he divides it into the Markandeya Kritayug or Satyayug, Tretayug, Dvaparyug, Kaliyug, and then an ascending Kaliyug cycle. Uh, he uses the typical time frame, 12,000 years and uh, 4,800, 3,600, 2,400, 1,200. So how do we recalibrate this within our framework? What I think of is that inside every larger Mahayug cycle is a nested, smaller, minor yug cycle. And Manvantars are in fact markers of historical memory. Whereas yugs are a system that work on many levels, astronomical, esoteric, etc. And the younger Dryas geological event was the last major bottleneck for our, our history, our civilizational and our me memory itself. Therefore, the continuum of cultural memory actually begins from there. And within the larger Markandeya Mahayug, a critical period is the nested smaller Vaivaswat Mahayug, uh, where a lot of important Puranic dates and markers alive, uh, which I'll come to. So the first Manvantar, uh, it commences at 9,500 BC with the Holocene onset in my framework. Uh, it's the early generation of Swayambhuv and Satyavati and their children. When we map them to known historical markers, we know that there is memory from prior, but a continuum of cultural memory begins here. 
his descendants, it is uh, repeatedly said in the Qurans that they fashion idols of mother goddess and worship Devi. Uh, we have the archaeologist Kenova, who has found evidence of mother goddess idol worship in Bagore in modern Rajasthan, uh, dating as far back as 9000 BC. Uh, we have the story of his great grandson, Hiranyaksh, who beats the earth down and submerges it underwater. In fact, in some stories, Hiranyaksh doesn't even exist, but there is a flood myth of the earth submerging underwater. And then Varah has to incarnate and bring it back atop uh, the water surface. And this is, in fact, the memory of what exactly would have happened after Holocene and uh, Younger Dryas when sea levels rose, coastlines would have been submerged. And so these are memories of those rising sea levels. Uh, we also have the story of Twashtri, who tires of Indra and uh, prays for a son, Vritra, who would defeat Indra. And this is remembered as far back as late in the Rig Veda as Indra's defeat of Vritra, which releases the world rivers uh, or the Maho Arana, as it's called in the Rig Veda. And again, uh, with the Holocene onset, the glaciation, the entire Hem Ganga ice cap from the Pamir Mountains to Kailas or from Meru to Kailas would have unlocked and released world rivers. So this is also remembered. Uh, in Indian memory. Uh, our framework in brief, therefore, uh, what it is about is that it starts from the first Manvanta. Uh, it talks about the beginning of the Daitya Aditya Wars, of which 12 are listed in the Purans, the defeat of Hiranyaksha and Vritra. We then have the second to fifth Manvantas. These wars continue, nomadic period in Indian history, where critical uh, events are the Tarkasur War and the rise of Skand as a new Indra. Uh, the sixth Manvantar is a critical period. Both Mahabali and Prithu Venya are decidedly placed in the sixth Manvantar by the Purans. And we have in both these tales stories of Neolithic revolutions and the origin of organized agriculture, uh, animal domestication, etc. Uh, then, of course, we reach the seventh Manvantar, uh, where there are stories of lots of Chakravartins. It's a politically rich uh, history of India leading up to the Mahabharat. Of course, then there are uh, there's a history beyond the Mahabharat as well. So uh, now I've mentioned this, there was a case of Soyambhu's progeny where his sons do not feature in the daughter's stories and vice versa. Uh, I think there's a good case to consider Priyavrat maybe even as memory of uh, prior to the Holocene onset. There is a lot of genetic data on the table that shows that ancient India populated large parts of the world or ancient Indians did rather. And uh, this goes back to the last glacial maximum itself. I think this is what is remembered when we're told that Priyavrat and his descendants inherited the known world and uh, peopled the known world. So we already know that India is a second primordial homeland of humanity outside of Africa. And the Purans, I think, also remember this. Uh, there is a notice of this in Tamil tradition as well. When we think of the Tamil three Sangams, uh, I haven't researched this very directly. But if we simplistically date the three Sangams, all of which are said to have been lost to Madurais in the sea. Uh, I think we understand that there is memory even in South India of continuity and of flood myths or great cataclysms that would have happened in the younger Dryas to Holocene period. Therefore, this is the framework that we look at the first Manvantar at, at around 9,500 BC. And uh, well, you know, I mean, I am running out of time now, but it goes on from here. So from here, 12 great Daitya Aditya wars begin it's a nomadic period. Tribes are described during this period as coming and going as bubbles do, which is what happens to nomadic tribes. Um, and then we reach a proto-Neolithic India, where, in fact, uh, this is an image that is used even for this conference, the Samutra Manthan image. And I think this is the memory of a, a proto-Neolithic uh, micro-revolution. So in the Samudra Manthan, we have things like the churning first throws halahal. Uh, this is a memory of proto-metallurgy, of fire, lava, and ash that we had to encounter when starting to extract things from metal, uh, from rocks. 
Uh, Makar incarnates to bear the weight of this great churning. We had to learn to prop up the earth before we could go deeper. Lakshmi, the personification of wealth emerges, which is of course evidence of prosperity and pros uh, property. And these mythic cow, horse and elephant that emerge is the memory of animal domestication. Uh, this continues, but the real revolution actually happens in around 600 BC, where I link uh, Vain, the father of Prithu Vanya to, to the 8.2 kilo year event, a widespread aridification event, which the Purans blame on poor Vain. And then we find Prithuvenya, who is decisively called the first Chakravartin. And in fact, when we have Greek records of Indian kings, which go back to 150 plus kings in 6,000 years, it's because the count begins from Prithu uh, Prithuvenya. But after him, civilization does decay. Uh, it happens all, all, all the time. Indian civilization has noticed a lot of decays. The Purans remember this. And <clears throat> I'm sorry. Eventually, uh, what the Puran says is that origin and annihilation occur continuously among living beings. The sages and other learned people are not deluded in this respect. So what they mean is that they know that there are gaps in memory, but eventually a descendant of Prithu uh, uh, through the Prachetas establishes marital relations with an Aditya tribe and the, the seventh Manvantar begins, uh, uh, which we place around 4,500 BC. And we do link it to a break in the skeletal record in India during that same period. Uh, from the seven Manvantar, a lot of the history is well covered by works such as uh, people by Subhashka, Giacomo Benediti, uh, Pagita. <coughs> so <clears throat> I'm sorry, I will rush through this part. Uh, critical periods here are the periods of Shashapindu, of Mandhatri. Uh, these are also to be related to linguistic dispersals out of India of uh, Indo-European languages, where in my opinion, Shrikant Talagari has decisively won the debate. Uh, we should just uh, spend one time on the idea of Vedic knowledge as a Parusheya and Anadi. And treating the Vedas in a historical way does not violate this to my mind, because even if the Vedic knowledge is eternal, uh, human beings who uh, perceive this knowledge and uh, articulated this knowledge in the language or syntax of their time were real human beings who lived at a certain point in time. So uh, I think it is fair to think of them uh, in a historical sense. A uh, lot of linkages can be found uh, between archaeological developments during this period. And uh, a last point here is that I think there's a beautiful synchronism to be found for the Ramayana. Uh, what we know is that his father, Dashrat, battles an Asur named Shambhar. We also know that Rigvedic Devodas battles a Das named Shambhar. Uh, we know that Devodas allied with the Kekayas, who were uh, descended from the Anav tribe. Dashrat is saved in battle by an ally from Kekay, who he marries. And Devodas's sister in genealogy is named Ahalya. Ram encounters an aged Ahalya, and Gautam's presence uh, as Ahalya's husband again lines up with Rigvedic chronology. So this ex explains, in fact, why KK of all people names her son Bharat, because to her people in KK at the time, it's a favorable dynasty and a favorable name. Uh, therefore, Ram ex exists very close to the initial Rigvedic period, and I think is instrumental in the emergence of Proto Bharat Varsh. Uh, there is a story the Purans forgot, or maybe not. I think the story of Sudas in the Rig Veda and its absence from the Qurans is actually an example of control of history, uh, historical narrative, because it's uh, the, the Puranic uh, composition is towards the later stages in our framework prior to the Mahabharata, uh, taken control of by the Kurus, whose tribe has actually rivalry with Sudas dynasty. So they kind of erase him from memory. And the only way we know he existed is from the Rig Veda, uh, not from Puranic memory at all. Yes. Uh, can we quickly wind up and uh, yeah, I will. Indeed. 
so uh, well and so after sudas we now reach the period uh, close to the mahabharat era where of course we've heard about ved vyas uh, he's a as a young man he travels across india he notices a decay of civilization the sarasvati is declining there are migrations happening and so he resolves to do something about it to codify dharma and itihas and then of course the great mahabharat war happens uh, if i just recapitulate it quickly uh, we have the first manvantar it's a period of proto neolithic developments in india nomadic tribes Sixth Manvantar is where real Neolithic revolutions begin, uh, and of course, then we have the seventh Manvantar around 4,500 BC onwards, which finally leads to the Mahabharat near 1900 BC. And all of this is detailed uh, uh, much better in the paper uh, that I've submitted. So, yeah, that would be the end of it. Thank you. Very much, uh, Amrutam Shuji. Uh, we uh, are very glad that Amrutam Shuji is uh, uh, based on the works of our own family members, Indic Academy family members, Srikant Talagiri ji and uh, Jijit Nadmuri Ravi ji and all these scholars. And uh, it is a well-referenced paper, well-substantiated paper. Uh, excellent work uh, by Amrutam Shuji. And